This is the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number 19. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hey, greetings and salutations, folks. My name is Doug, and in this episode of the podcast, I am going to update you on all the progress in my garage workshop. There is none. So thank you for joining me. I'll talk to you again in a week. Seriously, though, folks, my nine to five has picked up quite a bit. And while the overtime may not allow me as much time to do stuff around the house, is good for our bottom line. It's not like we're going to get rich. We are just looking to get less broke. So the overtime is a good thing. You see, when we bought this house, we were swimming in cash from the sale of our other house. We uh, spent some money on fix-ups and we bought a whole lot of new furniture. And the problem was that we were basing our spending on having two incomes. Unfortunately, not long after moving, we became a one-income family. And, well, those bills from our spending spree were still rolling in. Our outflows have exceeded our inflow for more than a year. It's been a bit of a struggle to keep our head above water, but we haven't drowned yet. We sure would have done things a lot differently had we known, but at least for now, things are starting to look up. A bit. Well, actually, there was a very interesting development in the last week or two. Our real estate agent contacted us to gauge our interest. She had a buyer who was looking for a house like ours, and she was confident that she could get us 30% over what we paid for the house a year ago. 30%. Real estate has gone absolutely nuts around here, and a lot of houses end up selling for more than the asking price. We're talking bidding wars here. There's a lot of competition among buyers, and it is definitely a seller's market. 30% profit in one year. Well, okay, let's analyze this. First of all, we spent money on electrical upgrades and waterproofing the basement after our little flood last March. Plus, I am in the middle of a couple projects right now that are in their unfinished state. And, of course, that can only hurt the value of the house. We could hire a handyman or a contractor to come in and put the house back together again. And I figured that we could still clear 15% profit. Still, that's not bad for one year. There's just one small problem. One tiny, minuscule little problem that our agent seems to be glossing over. We still need a place to live. And did I mention that the real estate values are going nuts around here? So, yeah, that means if we sell the house now, we would be looking for another house in the same crazy market. The only way it would make sense is if we were downsizing further or relocating to another region or moving into an apartment or something like that. Otherwise, it would only be a lateral move. We wouldn't be any farther ahead. And we would have the potential of getting further behind. It would be a gamble. 
But for now, at least on paper, we are getting a little closer to getting back to zero after losing so much money on the other house. That'll be good for our daughter after we die. Or when we sell up to move into a nursing home, which, by the way, are probably the only two ways that we will ever leave this house. I, um, I don't want to move again. The other thing to keep in mind is that as much as she claimed that she was looking out for us, you know, hey, good news, guys, I can get you this huge amount for your house. Yeah, okay, sounds good. Um, as much as she claimed that she was looking out for us, our agent was the one who stood to benefit the most from any transaction. Why? Because she benefits from every transaction. Whether we gain money or lose money on the deal, she's still getting the commissions, right? No offense to her. I mean, she was absolutely amazing, and she managed to sell what we thought was an unsellable house last year. And uh, I, I would definitely recommend it to anyone who is looking to buy or sell. But let's be honest. Real estate can be pretty lucrative when you can sell the same house over and over and over again and make a commission each time. So that was kind of interesting. It feels pretty good that we've had this increase to our net worth, at least on paper. But as far as selling right now and taking that profit, well, the math just doesn't add up. You gotta do the math. And that brings me to my next topic, which is something I come back to every once in a while. And that is the biggest mistakes that homeowners make. One of the biggest mistakes that a homeowner can make is not doing the math, or more likely, not doing the math correctly. I'm talking about doing the math when it comes to home improvements. Now, there's two ways you can go. You can either overestimate the costs or underestimate the costs. Let's take a look at underestimating first. When you underestimate the cost of a project, it ends up costing you more than you expect. Now what can happen is that you run out of money before the project is actually finished. So you end up living in a construction zone while you try to get enough money together to finish what you started. When you're doing it yourself, that can be an inconvenience or it can be a royal pain in the butt. It all depends on what your project is. An unfinished bathroom or an unfinished kitchen can have a huge impact on your quality of life, but you did it to yourself. It can be a whole nother story when you've hired a contractor. Now, if you went ahead and you got a written contract, there should be no issues. When the problems arise is when you make changes or add some while you are at it to the original project. A change order here for a hundred bucks and a change order there for a couple hundred bucks may not seem too bad, but they can add up to big bucks. Now you find yourself with another installment due and you don't have the funds to cover it. You could end up dealing with a lien on your house and a negative impact on your credit rating. Things can get ugly in a hurry when there's someone else involved. On the other hand, if you overestimate the cost of a project, at first blush, at least from a DIY standpoint, that can be a good thing, right? 
I mean, you estimate something's going to cost you 10000 bucks and it'll only cost you 8000 Well, that's like getting a $2,000 bonus. But things may not necessarily be that simple. When you think something is going to cost more, what do you do? You wait. If you don't have the money, you wait. You put it off. And putting some things off can end up costing you more. Like in the case of a roof, for example. Let's say you need a new roof and you think it's going to cost you $6,000. Well, you don't have $6,000. You only have $5,000. So you put it off while you try to save that extra 1000 bucks. Meanwhile, if that roof is leaking, the leak is causing more damage the longer you wait. So by the time you get the roof done, the roof plus the repairs ends up costing you $7,000. But guess what? You had enough money to cover the cost of the roof sooner, and you could have prevented those damages. Your estimate was off, and that cost you. It's going to be far better to get the real numbers rather than just guessing. And don't forget about other factors in the equation, like in the case of the roof, the cost of the damages that come from delaying the project. Another example of this cost that comes from putting things off is the work that we had done in our previous house where we upgraded the plumbing for the hot water heating system. We had the entire heating system zoned and replumbed, but when we first got an estimate for the work, it was a lot more than we could afford at the time, so we waited for a year. Now, what happened in that year? <laughs> we had another winter where the boiler had to work constantly and on some days was barely able to maintain a temperature in the 50s. Not only were we cold, but we also had hefty gas bills to boot. Not only that, but in that year, the price of copper doubled. We were only working with one number. There were other numbers in the equation. The additional cost of the heating bills and the increase in the price of the copper. We really should have done the math on the heating bills. You gotta do the math. But to do the math accurately, you need to know all the variables. Let's look at another example. You want to put up a partition wall in the basement to create another room. Not a terribly complicated project. I mean, what do you need for a simple wall? Some 2x4s and a few sheets of drywall, right? 2x4s are 3 to 4 bucks each, and drywall is about 10 bucks a sheet. Well, <laughs> shoot! This wall's only going to cost us about 200 bucks. Oh, if only. You need nails or screws to put the wall together. You need concrete nails or tapcons to attach it to the floor, and nails or screws to attach it to the ceiling. You need drywall screws to hang the drywall. You'll also need drywall tape, leather mesh or paper, and corner beads and joint compound. Do you have drywall knives? Are they in good shape? How about utility knife, uh, blades for your utility knife in order to cut the drywall? Before you hang the drywall, you'll have to run wire for any switches or plugs. And you'll probably want to put up a new light fixture in the new room. Are you hiring an electrician to do the work? 
or are you doing it yourself? Even if you do it yourself, you still need to get a permit to do the electrical work, probably. While you're at it, you might as well add some sound insulation between the studs. So you do all that, and now the drywall is hung. You'll need sanding screens or sanding sponges. You'll also probably need a new fine particle bag for your shop vac in order to take care of the drywall dust. And now it's time to paint. You'll need both primer and paint, and possibly drop cloths and masking tape and brushes and roller covers and paint tray liners. It's a new room, right? So don't forget the door. And don't forget the doorknob. And casings and base moldings for both sides of the wall, inside the new room and outside. <laughs> a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, right. And this is where I usually make my mistake. I oversimplify the project. I'll be in Home Depot picking up the studs and the drywall, and I'll remember some of the other stuff. Oh yeah, I need screws. Oh yeah, I'm out of mesh tape. I'd better pick up some utility blades while I'm here. And so on and so forth. So by the time I get to the checkout, I don't even want to know what the amount is because I know I'm over. I just whip out the credit card and I run it through without looking. Can't tell you how much of a treat it is when that MasterCard bill comes rolling in, especially if I don't remember to get everything on that first trip. You know, you look down the bill and it's Home Depot, Home Depot, Home Depot. Geez, did I go to Home Depot that many times? Well, yeah, I guess I did. Even then, I still don't want to do the math to figure out how much everything ended up costing. Just try to explain to the wife how a $200 project actually cost a whole lot more. <laughs> that could be fun. So what is the best advice for doing the math? Well, you have to educate yourself. Understand the project from start to finish. Include everything, no matter how small. Because those little things can really add up. The same thing applies whether you're doing it yourself or hiring out. Understanding the project from all angles will help you get a handle on the math. The worst case of oversimplifying costs can happen when you first look at a house, either at the showing or even during a home inspection. Hmm, this room is too small. Well, no problem, just move the wall. It's a simple framing project. The bathroom is outdated. No problem. We can retile. New vanity is only a couple hundred bucks. The furnace is old, probably needs to be replaced in the next five years. Well, okay, so not right away, right? That's good. That gives us a couple years to save up. How much is a new furnace? Eh, never mind, we have a couple years to save up for it. So add everything together. How much are all those upgrades or updates going to cost? We had a case of sticker shock with our current house. We knew coming in that the electrical panel needed to be replaced. The old one had no space and some of the breakers were double tapped. And I also wanted to run sufficient power to the garage for my woodworking shop. Well, we were way ahead of the game because I already knew how much that was going to cost, or at least I thought I did. We just had the electrical panel replaced 
in our other house when we put it on the market. So there should be no real surprises here, right? <laughs> well, there probably wouldn't have been any surprises had we hired the same electrician, but there were a couple of reasons why we decided not to do that. Instead, we hired someone else. And this guy was good. We had a long conversation and I had no doubt that we were making the right choice. And that was confirmed when he did the actual job. The downside, though, he cost twice as much. So my rough math at the home inspection was, shall we say, a little bit off. We had just had a panel replaced for about 1500 bucks, so I expected two panels to cost in the neighborhood of 3000 to $4,000. Reasonable, and dare I say, an educated estimate. Um, yeah. Nope. Try $6,000. A variable in the equation had changed. Electrician number two was a lot more expensive than electrician number one. His price for changing out one panel, just so we can compare apples to apples, because I know these projects aren't exactly the same, but just so we can compare apples to apples, his price for changing out the one panel in the house was double the other guy's price for changing out the panel in the other house. Now, despite the higher cost, we still went with the second guy anyway. We have our reasons. But geez, the math. The math will get you every time. So much for a budget. Add the extra cost of the electrical to the extra cost of other projects that we underestimated, and the credit card company again has us by the blankety blanks. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't forget to factor in interest and carrying charges on top of everything else. Doing the math, estimating the cost of a project, involves knowing the cost of materials and other supplies. And if you're hiring a professional, it involves knowing the fair market value of that professional and the value of one professional over another. I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating here. When you hire a professional, don't break down their labor into an hourly rate. The job is the job, whether it takes one guy twice as long or the other guy half as long. In most cases, you want someone who can work quickly and efficiently and do a good job and get out. But just because he does the job in half the time doesn't make his work half as valuable. Know what I mean? Ain't math fun? <sighs> All right. What else did I want to talk about? Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's something I want to know. I don't know if I'm the only person who experiences this, if this is something unique to me, but I want you to know that if this is something that you experience, you are not alone. Here's the thing. Whenever I'm working on a major project, there comes a point in time when I hit a wall or reach a plateau. I don't know what you'd call it. But I reach a point where I need to do a particular task before I can move on to the rest of the project. There is a thing that I need to do before I can do the other things that I have to do. And for whatever reason, maybe I don't know how to do that thing, or maybe there's something I'm a little unsure about, or maybe I just don't want to do with the thing. Whatever. I reach that point, 
and everything grinds to a halt because I need to do that one thing before I can do the rest of the project. Let me give you an example. I have a table saw. I have a Trademaster Contractor's Table Saw. Actually, a funny story. I bought this thing back around 2000 or 2001 as an upgrade for the table saw that I had, which was just this lightweight benchtop saw on a flimsy stand. You know, one of those aluminum and plastic atrocities with a rip capacity of a whopping 20 inches. Basically, the cheapest saw that you could buy. Don't buy one of those. This was probably the most dangerous piece of machinery that I ever owned. It had a hard start. You know, when you turn it on, it was like, and it would jump. It would jump when you started it. Now, a decent table saw is going to have a softer start. You know, you turn it on, it's nice. So anyway, this thing jumped when it started, and it would wander from the vibration. If I was cutting a few pieces of wood, in the time that it took me to turn around and grab another piece, the table saw will have moved. It would not be where I left it. And I was cutting sheet goods on this thing. Four by eight sheets. Even the experienced woodworkers that I follow on YouTube who have heavy cabinet saws will not cut down full-size sheets on their table saw. And I was doing this on a saw that weighed about, what, 20 pounds? Well, one day I was cutting a quarter-inch sheet of oriented strand board, and as I fed the sheet through the saw, the fence flexed slightly. And that caused the blade guard, which is only supposed to move up and down, to move to the right. And when it did, the blade caught it. And because the table saw vibrated as much as it did, the nuts holding the blade guard to the table had loosened. So when the blade caught the blade guard, it threw it past my head. I mean, I felt the breeze from this thing as it whizzed by. And it threw it against the wall that was about 10 feet behind me where it shattered. So the day this happened was the day that I decided to upgrade my table saw. And I got this Trademaster contractor saw, which was the best that I could afford at the time. And now that I had a quote-unquote real table saw, I realized that I could actually do some real woodworking. Up to this point, I'd only been doing hack work for my basement renovation. But anyway, I got this table saw in 2000 or 2001, and we moved in 2003. The house that we moved into didn't have a garage, So the saw sat in the basement for the next decade and then some. Meanwhile, the fence and the guards and the motor ended up in storage because, of course, I'd taken the saw apart in order to move it. Well, we put that house on the market a year and a half ago, and the table saw ended up in storage as well. Then sometime after we moved into this house, I retrieved the saw and its components from storage And in order to load the saw into the minivan, I also had to remove the saw from the stand. So I had all these parts of the table saw. Well, when I got everything to this house, I realized that this would be a good opportunity to do something about the dust collection on this thing. Contractor saws are terrible for dust control. But I found this product called a dust cutter. 
which some woodworkers refer to as a diaper. Um, but it's a bag that attaches to the underside of the stand and it collects a lot of sawdust. And you can even attach a vacuum to this thing. And if the reviews are to be believed, it works well. Well, this bag attaches to the stand with Velcro, but the instructions also said that for permanent installation, you could line it up with the bolts of the saw stand and drill through the Velcro and attach it that way. I don't plan to keep the saw too much longer. My dream is to eventually get a saw stop cabinet saw. Are you listening, saw stop? But I like the idea of permanent installation of this bag. I just wasn't sure how durable it was going to be with the bolts going through the Velcro. So I thought that I would install some grommets and make it really heavy duty. Why not make things more complicated than they need to be? Well, yeah, this bag is quite a bit bigger than it needs to be for my stand. So I knew that I was also going to have to do some taping and pleating of the corners of this bag to make it fit properly. Now, the thing is, with the grommets, I knew that there wouldn't be much of a margin for error. So, I admit that made me a little bit nervous. And, as a result, the bag hung around for a while, until I was able to summon the confidence to attempt this project. Turns out that installing grommets is easy, but you know how I said that there wouldn't be much of a margin for error? <laughs> well, yeah. It turns out there was none. None. The grommets did not all line up with the bolts. So, yeah, I messed it up. I Self-fulfilling prophecy, okay? So, anyway, I do some more research, and I come across this other dust control attachment called a Big Gulp. Not to be confused with the drink at 7-Eleven. Which, this Big Gulp is just the perfect size to fit the underside of my table. I just had to figure out how to attach it. That wasn't really too difficult. You know, you just use some self-tapping screws. But uh, for some reason, I kept putting off installing this thing. But I, I did. I finally installed the big gulp. And now I have some dust collection on the table saw. But I still have to put the rest of the saw together. You know, the motor and the fence. The fence that I have for this table saw is an aftermarket AccuSquare fence, which is still available if you want to look for it. Now, I had installed the rails so that I had as much rip capacity to the right of the blade as possible. But when I reinstall the fence, I kind of want to shift things over to the left so that everything is a little more balanced. And that means I'm going to have to drill some new holes. Not a big deal, but right now the garage is a mess. Part of the reason it's a mess is because the table saw isn't put together yet. But there's also a lot of crap out there, and I have to dance over all this stuff. And, I, you know, I just don't feel like working out there right now. So the saw sits for a while longer. Now, why am I talking about the table saw? Well, my daughter's bedroom has been on hold for almost a year now, waiting for me to install the laminate floor. Some of that laminate floor is going to have to be ripped to size, and other pieces are going to have to be cross-cut. I know I can do this with a circular saw, but I have convinced myself that it will be much easier on the table saw. 
much easier. Plus, it's the kick in the butt that I need to put the table saw back together. But until I get this table saw put together, that bedroom project has ground to a halt. I also want to get to work on my home office in the basement. But, you know, of course, my daughter's bedroom at this point is the bigger priority. So until I get the saw together and set everything in motion again, I have a year's worth of paperwork cluttering up the dining room table where I have my computer set up. Everything is connected. So I share all of this with you. I, I guess it kind of makes me look bad, a little scattered. But I share this with you to let you know that if you are experiencing the same sort of thing, you are not alone. For me, this kind of roadblock happens on just about every project I take on. It's a psychological thing, I guess. Whether second-guessing my own abilities or just a classic case of avoidance. Either way, it's something that I have to work through all the time. And the ironic thing? Whatever the thing is that I let play with my head is usually not that difficult. It's not as complicated as I think it's going to be. So I waste weeks or more putting off something that's standing in the way of my progress that would only take a couple hours. Crazy, right? So that gives you a little insight into my DIY anxiety. And I guess that's a good term for it. DIY anxiety. When you put stuff off, when you are nervous about doing something, when there is really no reason to be nervous. So tell me, am I alone in this? Or is this something that you experience too? At least if this is something that you experience, you know that you're not alone. Because, well, it happens to me anyway. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Visit thumbandhammer.com for the show notes for this and other episodes. Leave a comment, drop me an email, follow me on Twitter, and all that stuff. I'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Cheers. Cheers.